Hey everybody, this is Phil Town. This is Danielle Town. And welcome to the Invested Podcast, where we talk about how to make money in stocks and real estate. In companies with good underlying value. In businesses with good underlying values. Maybe one day we'll figure this out. Because stocks are just a piece of paper, right? And people kind of think of them as something to, to trade or gamble with. What we're looking at when we're buying things is we're looking at businesses, and it could be a real estate business. Yeah, good point. When I say company, I guess that's too narrow. Good point. Yeah. And so we want to basically know that the best investors in the world, which are people like Warren Buffett, Charlie Munger, um, have been doing this kind of technique now for many, many years, decades. And there's a family of investors who do this kind of investing that we call rule one investing. And we're trying to teach kind of, you know, everybody how to do it. It's a great thing to know. So let's start. <laughs> you're you're trying to teach everyone to do it. I'm trying to learn. This is true. But, but I appreciate you including me. Well, I think what we should do today is talk a whole bunch about Charlie Munger, um, who gave his annual report for a company called The Daily Journal, which has become quite the little social affair. It has. So in Los Angeles. I'm just going to say where we are in the podcast. What we did two episodes ago was talk about dividends and we promised to talk about buybacks straight away after that. As tends to happen, life came up and we got to interview JJ Virgin. So that was the last two episodes was us talking to JJ. Yes. And now we're going to again put buybacks on hold because dad and I just went to Charlie's annual meeting and we got to meet Charlie. Yes. And it was so exciting, and we got to tell you guys about it. And then I promise we're going to have a serious discussion about buybacks down the line. Yes. Um, buybacks are incredibly important, uh, and they're a bit difficult to understand for lots of people. Exactly. So we want to make sure we devote enough time to it. Um, but right now, we're excited about having just met Charlie. We are. I, it's something I've wanted to do pretty much my whole life, and I, I'm sort of intimidated. I'm a little bit of a... You know, I'm the guy at the party that's kind of in the corner unless you take me by the arm and then introduce me to everybody and then I'm, you know, having a great time. And then you're dazzling. And then I'm dazzling, <laughs> yeah. Other than that, not so much dazzling. And, and so... But when you said your whole life, when did you first hear about Charlie Munger? Well, you almost cannot hear about Warren Buffett without hearing about Charlie Munger. So okay. all the way back, I had, I had heard. I know I had heard of Warren Buffett, I'm sure, from you. At some early age, like he's always been familiar to me, but I hadn't heard of Charlie until you told me about him when we first started talking about this. Well, stuff. I heard about him, you know, just in the context that he's the vice chairman of Berkshire Hathaway and okay. Buffett's partner. What I didn't know for a lot of years was that the strategy of buying wonderful businesses when they're at a fair price or on sale really comes from Charlie Munger. That wasn't the original strategy that Buffett came out of the box with um, after working with Ben Graham. Really? Yeah, Graham's strategy was was built in world in uh, the Depression and World War II, where the stock market had been pounded down like ninety percent from where it was in the Roaring Twenties, hmm. and Ben um, simply bought a, a basket of companies that he thought were uh, likely to survive. He would buy them really pretty much for the cash they had in the bank. Oh, these are the cigar butt companies. Yeah, like he would buy them for net cash. Hmm. Like subtract the liabilities from, from the assets and what you got left. Um, if it's cash, he would buy that company. And he would assume that because they had this excess cash that they could survive. And he did <clears throat> 22% a year for 20-some, 30 years through the Depression, World War II. And so when Buffett was learning from him, 
that's what he learned. He followed him into these kind of special situations where um, somebody's got a, a company that's in trouble and it's struggling, and yet there's all of this net asset available. Hmm. And um, Buffett did things like um, buy piles of beans and take them across the street in New York and, and turn the beans in. And make an instant profit just arbitraging the beans from a company. Oh, because they were a commodity? <clears throat> yeah. I mean, things like that. And he did extremely well. But early, uh, in rather late in the 1950s, after he'd been investing for three or four years, he met Charlie Munger. And Munger's view was, look, Warren, it's, we're no longer in the Depression. There's, it's getting harder and harder to find these cigar butts, right? What you have left are <clears throat> they're cigar butts, but there's nothing left in them. There's no puffs. <laughs> and so uh, they're just bad companies. And it became harder and harder for, for Warren to do what he was trying to do. And Charlie said, look, why don't we buy really good companies, pay a little more for them, you know, pay, pay what they're worth as a private company, say. And then uh, let's see if that works out better. And it turned out to be the nirvana secret of investing. So like not <clears throat> utterly cheap companies, like a cigar butt company would be a company that is just so crazy undervalued because they're not very good companies underneath it. Right. And this is more good companies. So you pay a little bit more, but still below like a public company rate. And, and really when he said, um, we're going to buy them at a fair price, the criterion still was, if you have a dollar of value, you're paying 50 cents for it. Okay. So right? half. Yeah, about half, which is about what the private company is worth compared to a public company because it doesn't have liquidity. And the thing is, when you are looking at these companies from the perspective of Ben Graham, you kind of have to buy a lot of them. So Graham would buy quite a number of companies. And Buffett and Munger discovered that the safest thing to do is to really focus your portfolio tightly using the criteria Ben Graham taught them, right, on how to, how to figure out the value of a business. Mm -hmm. That's what Graham taught them. And then buy it when it's cheap. And it's only cheap when there's a lot of fear. So instead of being able to buy companies any given day, no matter what's going on out there, what Buffett and Munger did is they said, look, we're only going to buy companies when there's a lot of fear around that company or that industry or the entire market. And that fear comes along as Graham taught them regularly. These are the regular fluctuations of the market. So this, this concept that Munger came up with is, is summarized like this. He said, basically, Warren, it's better that we buy a wonderful company at a fair price than a fair company at a wonderful price. And that has become the, the sort of iconic message for mm. investors ever since. So that goes all the way back to about 1959. So essentially, Buffett's entire career has been, the trajectory has been directed to a degree by Charlie Munger's idea. And he's just... <laughs> pretty much the silent partner yeah. in the whole thing. I don't think he likes a lot of publicity. He does this meeting for the Daily Journal, which is um, a company that he holds in his own portfolio, I right. think. Right, and he, he bought up a big chunk of it. and yeah, So it's separate it. from Buffett, which is why it's kind of his meeting, so to speak. Right. Um, but other than that, he really isn't available. <laughs> no, he's not available, and he, he doesn't really make himself... Um, he doesn't do a lot of publicity. He doesn't. I mean, Warren Warren Buffett likes the spotlight a lot. Yeah, and I get it because like I'm kind of the same way. I I like to kind of like be to myself more, and um and and so I think it's cool that he does put himself out there. 
Yeah, so at least once a year. Yeah, once a year is, is when he <laughs> well twice a year. He also goes to the Berkshire meeting and gets up oh, on stage right. with Warren. Oh, that's right. And he says, "I agree with." Oh, I have nothing to add. I have nothing that's to what add. He says. That's what he says. <laughs> now, now to put this in you know in context, Charlie has been around for a long time. He's ninety three, I, I believe. Yes, yeah, some yeah, ninety two, ninety three. And he started off the meeting with the Daily Journal joking that uh, because they changed one director, um, they're working the average age of the board of directors of the Daily <laughs> Journal down, you know, to be more responsible. They have more continuity. The average age went down from 90 to 88. <laughs> <laughs> so, so sitting up there on the podium with him was another one of the best investors in the world who also absolutely abhors the limelight. Um, who is also a partner in the Daily Journal. What's his name? Rick Guerin. Okay, yeah, I remember seeing him. R- Rick Guerin is, is just so quiet. But when Buffett talked at, the, uh, univers- at, at Columbia Business School about the super investors of Graham and Doddsville, one of the guys he brought up was Rick Guerin. And Rick Guerin started investing just because he saw how these guys did it. That, that was really the essence of it. Oh, so he was a copycat kind of like us? Yeah, he was just like us. I love it. He says he said he just you know went to work for IBM after he graduated from college back then in, in the fifties and he was an IBM salesman you know, and then Charlie and Rick met each other through friends, hmm. and Charlie sort of explained to Rick what he was doing, wonderful business, fair price, you know, be patient, do nothing most of the time, and then strike when you get an opportunity, and and Garen started doing it, and at at Columbia University, Buffett revealed Garen's portfolio and his history over these 19 years. And here's what he said. I, and this is a quote from Buffett uh, at that, at that uh, talk at Columbia. He said, the idea of buying dollar bills for 40 cents, so he moved it down to 40 cents from 50 cents, <laughs> takes immediately to people or it doesn't take at all. He said, it's like an inoculation. If it doesn't grab a person right away, I find that you can talk to him for years and show him records and it doesn't make any difference. They just don't seem to be able to grasp the concept, simple as it is. A fellow like Rick Guerin, who had no formal education in business, understands immediately the value approach to investing and he's applying it five minutes later. I've never seen anyone who became a gradual convert over a 10-year period to this approach. It just doesn't seem to be a matter of IQ or academic training. It's just instant recognition or it's nothing. Now, Well, I guess I'm <laughs> SOL. No, you're not. No, Are you not. kidding me? <laughs> but I, I am that person. But it, you, you obviously recognize the value of being able to buy a dollar for 40 cents. I mean, sure. Everybody does, right? Everybody does. But some people don't think it's possible. And so they just they stop right there. And you didn't stop right there. You well, have. I did my best stop, let's be <laughs> honest. Well, okay. But let me but just. But I enjoy that maybe I could be an anomaly to Charlie's overarchingly broad statement five minutes or nothing <laughs> the thing is and this is the, the, it's it's the same with him as it is with you honestly like you guys just take to this stuff so naturally that you cannot imagine or even conjecture what it's like to not take to it naturally and that's where a comment like that comes from he can't even empathize with someone who doesn't immediately get it. And he then thinks that anybody who doesn't is 
basically stupid and is just never going to get it. And uh, okay, like, fine, maybe that's true for some people, but I think there's definitely something to the idea that a little instruction can go a long way. Well, I think Charlie in particular, and certainly Warren to a degree, really kind of like the idea that they don't, they shouldn't have to proselytize. Well, this, yeah. Like, 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 like somebody once said, this here stuff sells itself. Yeah, right? kind it of does. Thing. It does. And, it's true. And so they, they sort of like the idea that you just sort of get it. It's there. It's obvious. And then you, you start to approach it in a whole different way. And, um, and I got to tell you, I just want to say real quick what Rick Gearn's track record is. Okay. Okay. So he has a public track record. He ran a fund for 19 years. It had more ups and downs than Buffett's and Munger's did because he used leverage in his fund. That means he borrowed money um, to juice the returns, right? So it's sort of like you buy a house and you get a mortgage or you could buy it for all cash. Yeah. If you buy it all cash and the house goes up 4% that year, you made 4%. Yeah. But if you buy it with a mortgage and you've got 50% loan on the house and it goes up 4%, you made 8%. Oh, yeah, yeah, on your money, on your, on your money. actual money yeah. invested. Yeah. yeah, so leverage juices the returns pretty substantially, but it also creates a lot more up and down, a lot more risk, right? And so um, these returns have a little bit of a juicing to them, but they're stunning, right? So $10,000 invested with Rick Guerin when he started his fund called Pacific Partners. Which was when? Which was 1965, I think. Oh, so he'd learned from these guys. Long time ago, okay. Yeah, well, but he'd, I mean, basically Munger and Buffett were cranking away. Yeah, yeah. And then this guy looked at this stuff and went, hey, I get that. I can do that. And he started firing it up. $10,000 with Rick. By 1983, when Buffett gave this talk and Rick had quit, he was done. He just went off and was rich. <laughs> <laughs> $10,000 became $2.2 in 19 years. <laughs> yeah. He's got a compounded return of 33% a year. He smoked Buffett in moments. Hold on, I gotta look at these numbers. Yeah, yeah, really. Check it out. This is, um, I mean, here's here's the returns that Buffett put up on here. This comes from ValueWalk.com, and and it's just under Rick Guerin. Yep. So I see a bunch of good years, and then I see two massively down years. Yep. In '74 and seven. Oh, sorry, '73 and '74. Yep. Minus forty-two percent. Yep. And then minus. 34.4%. Right. Holy crap. So that's that's the impact of leverage in a down market in a down year. Yeah. You know, and, you know, I think all of us who do this kind of investing have, have had, because we're so focused on our, what we're buying, right? We're not buying 100 things and diversifying. So everything's 1% of your portfolio. And if that one thing goes bad. Yeah, yeah, you, eh, it's okay. Who cares? But also know? if that one thing goes good, yeah, who cares? Who cares? <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. So I just remind you of Buffett's idea that when it's raining gold, you don't hold out a thimble. And if you're if you have a hundred companies in your portfolio and every one of them is one percent, that's a thimble. Mm-hmm. So the gold isn't going to do you a lot of good. So we focus and, and they have maybe ten companies. Okay. Mm-hmm. So ten companies that you know one of those goes down, you've got a big hole. Now, right, ten percent just went away. Yeah. But what if you leveraged it? then maybe 20% went away, right? So you have a bad market. You can have some big changes. Yeah, I wouldn't recommend we do a lot of leveraging here. But but I mean, what strikes me is that, what did you say you had? 36%? 33% compounded. 33% compounded. For 19 years. With those those huge down years. I mean, that's... Ridiculous. But look at some of his years are 180%, 172%, 130%, Jeez. right? Um, so 
I mean, the guy was using leverage. And, and by the way, we do teach about this um, when we have our classes in Atlanta, because a lot of people who are trying to, to become financially independent are starting with very little money. And when you start with very little money, like I did with $1,000, you've got to find a way to use other people's money, which is leverage of one sort or another, Ugh. right? I mean, oh. I mean, it's scarier, right? But think about it like this. Manesh Prabhai, who, by the way, we met yeah, this great. last we week as well. Him. He was yeah. so nice. Um, Guy Spear and uh, Danielle did a video or something. Yeah, well, Guy um, said to me a couple of weeks ago, like, oh, you're going to the meeting. I can't go. You got to make sure you meet Manish. And I was like, sure, you know, yeah, I'll fight the crowd. <laughs> By the way, Manish Prabhai, if you, if you don't know, is he runs about a billion dollar hedge fund. He's makes 20 some percent a year, fabulous returns, rule one type investor, very focused. And he's got videos on YouTube. Just go to YouTube and, and put in the search window, um, Manesh Prabhai. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, he's got like hour long talks to Boston University and oh, is Columbia. That, is that why he's so well known? Yeah, well, that's one of the reasons. I thought it was just his book. He wrote a book, which you've mentioned a number of times, called The Dondo Investor. Well, what made him really well known is that he and Guy spend a million dollars to have lunch with Warren Buffett. Okay, and that yeah. put him on the front page and yeah. everybody started like, who's this guy, right? And then he's been invited to give a lot of talks and, and he's a fabulous speaker and he's really funny and he's just a big, warm-hearted, super amazing investor. Well, and as usual, I don't know who anybody is. So I'm just like, oh, it's like a guy, whatever. I don't know. I'll say hi. So, I mean, I knew he had written a book and yeah. I knew that, um, that he and Guy were friends and that they had done the Buffett lunch. But, Strongly recommended book, um, by the way. Yeah, yeah. It's really good. So I didn't really understand any of that. And, um, and Guy said, oh, like you got to meet him and I'll, like, let's make a short little video just to prove that we know each other and that Monish should actually say hi to you. So I was like, great. So Guy made like a little video and sent it to Monish, which was really nice of him. And, um, and so this guy, we were sitting there and this guy walks in like surrounded <laughs> by yeah. about... 30 people who are just hanging on his every word. And I didn't know what he looked like, but I thought that has to be him. <laughs> and I mean, it took him yeah. about half an hour to make it from the front door to the seat that somebody had saved for him. Exactly. <laughs> and he finally got there and we happened to be sitting actually really close to him. And we just said hi. And he said, oh, yeah, I've got to meet you. And so we got to take a picture with him. And he really was incredibly nice, nice. Yeah. Really nice of him. Manesh has the idea that I mean, basically what he, everybody's got a different term for kind of what we do. Manesh says, what you want to do is you want to, you want to go out and get free lottery tickets. <laughs> that, that's his, his understanding of this. So from his point of view, if you buy a company well below its real value, you, have, you just be careful so that you have very little downside when you buy it. If, if you've made a mistake, if the company doesn't do what you think it's going to do, you can exit that position and not lose a lot of money. That's the basic concept. And of course, we all make mistakes. Let's just say that right now. Yeah, I mean, Rick Guerin made what? 42%. A 42 percenter in one mistakes. year right there. And still came Insane. out with 33% a year. Yeah. Compounded. And Monash has had some mistakes and Guy's had some mistakes and I've had some mistakes. And and, and Charlie's had some mistakes. And Charlie's had one some mistakes. One of the best things he said, which I wrote down verbatim, was that if you... Well, I should just read it because I don't want to even get it wrong. It was so good. Um, 
he was talking about making mistakes, and he said that, uh, no, I can't find it, of course. Well, while you're looking... Oh, here it is, here it is. He's, okay. Sorry. He says, the value of my partnership, I'm just going to paraphrase him, went down 50% in one year. I mean, 50%. I think I would... I mean, when you're managing other people's money, imagine the pressure of that. Well, that, of course... You don't have to imagine it. I'm sure it's, <laughs> I know. it's bad. So... It went down 50%. He said it's happened to him three times in his Berkshire stock that his stock has gone down with that kind of alacrity. And he so he says, I regard it as a part of manhood. If you're going to be in this game for the long haul, which is the right way to do it, you'd better be able to handle a 50% decline without fussing too much about it. And so, and I'm quoting from him, and so my lesson to all of you is conduct your life so you can handle a 50% decline with aplomb and grace. Don't try to avoid it. And at that point, people started clapping because you can just imagine that whole room was full of people who have been through some declines. Yes. He says, it will come. It will come is what he said. (laughs) In fact, I would say if it doesn't come, you're not being aggressive enough. There you go. I just thought that was so cool that it was, um, it's not only that it's going to come and we should all expect it, it's, if it hasn't happened to you, you should probably check yourself and say a little bit like, hmm, am I doing things totally right here? Well, I'll give you an, an example of a guy who went through that not, not too long ago. Bruce Berkowitz is another rule one type investor, runs a fund called Fairholme. And in 2010, Fairholme had $18 billion in cash or he had stocks and he sold them off and got cash. And then he bought Citi, uh, Bank of America, and AIG for the entire $18 billion. Okay. Three companies. When was that? Uh, 2010. Okay. And they went up a little bit in 2010. And at the end of 2010, his track record was intact at about 18% per year compounded over, over about 12 years. 2011, the Greek bond problem hit the financial world. Yeah. And people bailed out as as they do. The people being institutional <laughs> they investors. Do, yeah. They bailed out of everything that even smelled like a, a an investment bank, right? So they sold off City, Bank of America, and AIG and exited the building. Right? But of course, he was buying this while this was going on, mm-hmm. buying more. And so down come these stocks, they come down 50%. So did he year. buy more at the 50% discount? He wanted to buy more, but you know what happened? He ran out of money? Uh, worse than that. The pension funds that were investing the $18 billion pulled their money out of his fund as that thing went down. Like yanked it out. Said, give me my money back oh, right now. Yeah. So instead of being able to buy these things at ever cheaper prices, he was having to sell them below what he paid for them. And take the loss. And take the loss. Ooh. Because he had to redeem all of these, these sure. pension fund guys that could not sustain yeah. a year of 50% losses. Yikes. Right? Yeah. Okay. Crushed his fund. And here's the irony. The next year, those three stocks went up an average of 92%. No and the year way. after that, they 92? went up 75%. Oh and they're gosh. still going up today. Oh my God! I mean, he's in Bank of America, for example, at about six dollars today. Bank of America is selling for twenty-two or twenty-three dollars a share. I mean, it was a home run, out of the park, stunning victory, and he redeemed himself. And yet, right, everybody pulled their money out. So the truth is, you're going to go through stuff like this. And what you want to do, Danielle, is you want to be sure that you understand the business so that you're comfortable that it's not going to go to zero. 
right? That yeah. it's just going to go down. That's just price. Yeah. Value isn't being affected. Yeah. And as price is going down, you should be jumping for joy, finding more money and getting it into that company and stockpiling in lower and lower. So yeah. And I mean, the reason like, you know, I was thinking about this at the meeting, the reason that I was so intrigued by what Charlie said about having had three times in his career when he lost money is because that's what I'm afraid of, you know, and I'm trying to I'm trying to really like prepare myself, have some perspective and prepare myself because mm -hmm. that's what I'm afraid of. And Charlie says it's, it's going to happen. happen. So let's take a, a, a your let's take a condo in Boulder. Okay. Sure. So let's say you know you you buy this condo in Boulder um, in the year two thousand seven, and you pay six hundred thousand dollars for it. And by two thousand fourteen, I'm I'm just making this up. But by two thousand fourteen, if you tried to sell that condo in Boulder, uh, let's say in two thousand twelve, say okay, maybe it would only get five hundred thousand or four hundred thousand. Wait, what did we buy it for? Six hundred thousand. Oh, okay. So the, the even the real estate market goes through these swings. It just does it much slower. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so if you own that that um, that condo, let's say, and then when you bought it for six hundred thousand, you were getting sixty thousand dollars a year in free cash flow from that condo. Again, just because we say, were renting it out. Renting it out, right? As an investment business. Okay. You're getting a ten percent yield on your purchase price, sixty thousand dollars a year. And now the price of this thing comes screaming down to $400,000. You're still getting $60,000 a year. In other words, the underlying business is just fine. Rents aren't going down. In fact, rents are going up. And the, the building's good. Everything's solid. Everything's the same. Everything's the same. So what's there to panic about? Of yeah. course, you wouldn't panic if yeah. you own that. That's how Charlie and Warren think about businesses. Well, you wouldn't panic as long as you have some confidence in your opinion that it's going to go straight back up. Well, in a, in a sense, if you're making 10% yield on your original purchase, oh, okay. you're going to have your money back in 10 years. So Fair at point. the end of the day, you could stop mar the market altogether for a decade. Fair point. And you'd, you'd have all your money out of it, right? So the ideal way to think about buying companies is to think about it just like that. That's the right way. And then you don't think about the, the price is going down unless you happen to have another 400000 <laughs> In which case, you would jump all over that thing and buy it. Buy another one. Buy another one because you're renting it out for 60000 Got it. Free cash flow. Yeah. And now you're making 15% per year. And you're like, give me some more. I hope it goes down to 200000 Right. That's how we look at it. So... All you have to do to shift your head from going, like, I could totally do that, that's a no-brainer, to being able to do that with stocks or businesses is just to realize how much you know about that condo. You know a lot about that condo. Yeah. You know the construction quality, you know the, you know the, the cash flow, you know where it's coming from, you know who's doing it. So you know all this stuff. Then you just got to know that stuff about a business. And that's why Buffett and Munger both argue strongly that you don't want to get involved in really complicated businesses because they're hard to understand. You want simple businesses. You want to jump over a six-inch bar, not a six-foot bar. Yeah. Okay? You want stuff that you can you understand well enough to feel confident in Yeah. regardless of what happens. Yeah. I met this amazing guy at the annual meeting um, named Kevin Sweet who 
totally taught himself how to invest. I love it. I mean, it was inc- it was so great for me to talk to him because because um, he's been through what I'm going through, and he said exactly that. He said he just makes sure that he really chooses businesses that he can understand. And that's what gives him the confidence to go forward. He feels very personal about it. He, he actually now manages, it's now his career. He manages other people's money now. But um, originally he didn't. And he said he just, he still feels as personal about his clients now as he did back when it was just his money. And, um, and he, he just follows that same tenet regardless of whose money he's investing and how complicated it is. He's got to understand it and have the confidence that it's a really, really good underlying business. I'll tell you, it's all, it's just about that. And it's just about, well, what Buffett said is the stock market is a, is a mechanism that takes money from people who are not patient and delivers it to the people who are. And by that, he doesn't mean buy and hold and just forget it, right? Although that would work, but at a very low rate of return. What he means is that this patience what this guy was talking about is just waiting patiently for these great opportunities to come along that he fully understands. Well, exactly. And I think also as, I mean, every company, I don't care what company it is, goes through ups and downs. And I think it's as it goes through those ups and downs and as the company makes changes to what it's doing or buys another company or, you know, whatever, opens a new product line, like whatever it is. You can follow it. You can understand it. You can see where they're coming from. You can see why they're doing it. And if you don't understand any of that stuff, get out. Yeah, exactly. Just then that's not your company. That's a six-foot bar. Yeah. You don't want to be jumping over that six-foot bar. So some of you are super involved in software and high tech. Like Danielle is... Is, is a, not. <laughs> is not. But as a lawyer, you you certainly have done a lot of, of work for high-tech companies. Yeah, yeah. I understand the field. Of, you understand of the field and growth. how complicated it can be, right? Absolutely. And so, you know, the, just listening to Charlie talk and go back and kind of iterate some of these basic principles just brings it all back. It's about being very patient. It's about not following the crowd. Yeah. It's about knowing what you're buying. And those are the basic things. And when you, uh, as a metaphor... Hannah, I just want you to think really seriously, is this business something I understand as much as I would a condo in Boulder? Yeah, I think that's a high bar. Or I should say it's a low bar to jump over. <laughs> you take it, you might take the bar, maybe the bar is high to start with, <laughs> right? Like snowboarding is a high bar to start with. But you just start slow and you don't, you know, you don't spend a lot of money. You don't, maybe you buy a couple of shares just to get connected with it. You, when I had that idea originally, you told me it was so dumb. <laughs> Jeez, now you're just so I'm learning from you. my ideas. Yeah, yeah, I'm learning yeah, from you. Yeah, yeah. All right, so let's um, talk specifically about stuff Charlie said at the meeting. Do you want to? Yeah, I took some really good notes. You did. Yep. You and were so, on top of it. Okay, so next time we're just going to go through these bang, 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 all the stuff Charlie was talking about because it goes deep into what we're learning here. Yeah. About rule one investing. Yeah. All right. So it was cool. He just answered like whatever anybody asked. He did. And it was amazing that this guy was there for us. It was really fun. Yeah. So um, we'll take you back to that meeting next time. Until then, time to go play. Thanks, everybody. See Bye. ya. Hey, thanks for listening to Invested, the Rule One podcast. If you like this episode, you can always get our show notes and more details and links to the resources we discussed 
at investedpodcast.com. Also, as long as you're online, head on over to investedpodcast.com slash workshop for details on an upcoming three-day live workshop that I'm hosting. All you gotta do to go is enter the special podcast code STOCKPILE, that's S-T-O-C-K-P-I-L-E, STOCKPILE, into the application form and you guys can attend for free. So everything discussed on this show is either my opinion or it's Danielle's opinion. And it is not to be taken as investment advice because I am not your investment advisor, nor have I considered your personal situation as your fiduciary. This podcast is for your entertainment and education only, and I really do hope you've enjoyed it. So until next week, it's time to go play. See ya.